Welcome back, fiction friends. Anita Capri here, and you are listening to Not Just Any Other Story. We are continuing with the shopping cart people, and um, I just wanted to introduce my guest today, Lillianne. Thank you so much for being here and for being a guest today. Thank you, Anita. Thank you for having me at your beautiful cottage. It's one of the highlights of the summer for me. And me too. <laughs> can't wait to have all the other ladies come up soon, but it's really nice to be just you and I. Yes, we've it never is. had we've never had yeah. time just you and yeah, I together so up it's here. It's really nice. We um so Lillian and I were just enjoying the beautiful uh stillness of the lake. And I just said, wouldn't it be cool if we were doing our recording? And a loon would come by and sing for us. That would be, so would be cool. really, really Maybe nice. it'll happen. We'll see. That would be special. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. So I just, before we start on our next chapter, which is <coughs> chapter 36, I wanted to remind everybody to make sure that you review and rank um, this podcast because it's important to me, but it's also important to allow other people to see it in the different platforms. So... Lillian, would you like to read chapter 36? Okay. Okay, here we go. Take it away, Lillian. Okay, chapter 36, Confessions. Angelica, Angelica! As the haze of a restless slumber began to clear, I recognized my mother's comforting voice. She was shaking me gently. When I opened my eyes, the room was filled with light. Moira was sitting in the chair opposite me, and my mother was rubbing my shoulders. Okay, Ma, okay, I said, sitting up to show her that I actually was awake. Angelica, why don't you go home for now and get some rest, she insisted. Take a shower, eat something. It'll make you feel better. Spoken like a true mother. I can't. I glanced over at Harry, who looked like he was in sound sleep. I just can't leave. What if he wakes up? I could feel my mother's no-nonsense stare. Then you can be back here in no time. Somebody will be here for him at all times, Moira spoke up. Why don't you go home for a bit? I could come with you if you like. Where's Les? I looked around the room, expecting him to be there in the shadows. He just stepped out to get everyone something to drink, Moira reassured me. He'll be back, honey. I sighed so heavily that both my mother and Moira gave each other sidelong glances. I knew with the two of them allied, I would never win. Moira got up from the chair and put her hand on my shoulder. Come on, kiddo. I'll drive you home and then we'll come right back. I promise. Before I could even think of protesting, mom had my arm and was gently pulling me out of the chair. I winced as the crink in my neck tried to straighten itself out. After kissing Harry, his hands, his face, his hands again, then stroking his cool, pale cheek, I finally allowed them to take me out of the room. We walked by the waiting room, and Dad and Les were sitting there, both with a cup of something hot in their hands. I stopped and wanted to say something, but I just opened my mouth and nothing came out. Nothing seemed right. Les got up and handed me a styrofoam cup. I got you some coffee, he said. Then he turned around to pick up another for Moira. Thanks, Les, I heard her say. We'll be back in a while. He nodded at her, 
but he was looking at me. I couldn't bear to know what he was thinking of me at that moment. I couldn't look into his eyes, which were, no doubt, passing judgment. I turned away with a feeling of despair that seemed to come from the pit of my stomach. I felt as if the walls of my chest were caving inward, pressing on my lungs and taking my breath away again. I barely made it to Moira's car before my legs began to shake and the woozy feeling I had in my stomach took hold of me. Then I threw up beside an empty trash can. I didn't think to aim for the inside of it. Luckily, there were no witnesses in the underground parking. Moira helped me into the car and searched for a plastic bag in case the feeling returned. Once home, I literally collapsed onto the sofa. I could hear Moira moving about in the kitchen, then the water running in the bathtub. She was such a dear friend. She had me wrapped in a bathrobe within minutes. Now, you wait there, she ordered, pulling me over to the edge of my bed and forcing me to sit down. She went into the kitchen to make some tea. I sat there, motionless, listening to the water roaring through the taps and into the tub. When she came back a few minutes later, she led me to the bathroom without saying a word. The bath looked so inviting. She had put way too much bubble bath in it so that bubbles were foaming high above the rim of the tub by the time she had turned the taps off. It felt good to step into the hot water, so good that I found myself still soaking in it almost an hour later, waking up to Moira's voice at the bathroom door. Angel, do I need to come in there and pull you out myself? I found myself smiling slightly at Moira's ability to lighten the mood even in the most tragic of circumstances. I'm coming out, I shouted. Give me a minute. What time is it anyway? Noon, she answered, and your pasta is getting cold. Noon, I mumbled to myself. I had been asleep in the bath for quite a while. I didn't seem to notice that the bubbles had completely disappeared and the bath water was beyond lukewarm. I felt anxious about getting back to the hospital and didn't have much of an appetite, but Moira made me feel guilty about not eating the lunch she had prepared, so I ate more for my sake than hers. I forced down a few bites of the pasta and knew that I probably would regret it later when I had indigestion. At least the nausea had passed and I felt a little more rested. When we arrived back at the hospital, both Hans and Bev were sitting in the waiting room with my mother. I noticed Bev had changed her clothes, and I felt badly that she was back at the hospital. She had probably not seen her own children for more than a few minutes over the past 24 hours. When I walked in, she hurried toward me and placed her hands on my shoulders. Now don't get your hopes up too much, Angie, she started. But Harry seemed to have a few moments where he was speaking, and... At the sight of my eyes widening, Bev seemed to hesitate. Now they're saying that it doesn't happen to patients who are in a coma, but he stirred in his sleep and his eyes actually opened. Is he awake? I asked, barely able to get the words out. No, she answered. Nothing since that. It happened just an hour ago. Les was there and mom. But that's a good sign, right? 
I asked, almost pleading with her as if she were an expert on the matter. I think so, but the doctor will come to talk to you soon. I didn't wait to hear any more. I rushed out of the waiting room, down the long, stark white hallway, and past the set of doors that separated Harry from me and the rest of the world. I whizzed past the nurse's station. To my surprise, I found Dad and Matt sitting there, on each side of Harry's bed, talking quietly. It took me a moment to recognize Matt, but when I realized that it really was him in person, he was already standing up, holding his arms out to me. Oh, Maddie, I cried as we hugged each other. I closed my eyes tightly, just as tightly as I held him, and the tears squeezed their way through my scrunched up eyelids. Dad had already left the room while Matt told me about his quickly made plans to fly up from Orlando. I got the first flight this morning. No sweat, he was saying. I was so glad to see Matt that it took me at least a half hour before I started to wonder whether Les had gone home or not. Before I could ask, Matt explained that Les had stepped out and that he'd be back as soon as he could. I leaned over to kiss Harry on the forehead. It startled me that his skin was so cold to the touch. I felt his hands. They were just as cold and clammy. God, he's freezing! We need to cover him up, I said, placing Harry's hand to my chest. Harry and I pulled up a second blanket over his whole body. I put both of my hands around, around one of Harry's and asked Matt to do the same with the other. We both sat there for a long while, Harry's hands wrapped safely in ours, waiting for some sign of consciousness, anything to stir the room. The doctor eventually came in and answered most of my questions, though he said that sometimes muscles move involuntarily, which could explain Harry's movements. He seemed encouraged by the fact that Harry had spoken when he opened his eyes. Matt and I sat there together for a long while. After a few scattered catnaps, there didn't seem to be any further signs from Harry that he would awaken. Matt had not asked any questions about Les, though he had been informed about the fact that Les was more than just a supportive boyfriend, seeing me through this traumatic time. I was glad that he didn't. It would have required more of an explanation than I was capable of providing. A few hours had passed. Just as I had decided to go for a little walk to stretch my legs, the nurse came into the room to inform me that a young lady was in the waiting room asking to see Harry. How could I have forgotten about Harry's girlfriend? She must have freaked out when she found out about the accident. But how did she find out? No doubt she must have heard it through the grapevine somewhere. Before she left, the nurse reminded me that only family would be allowed to see Harry. I nodded to reassure her, knowing there was no way I would be able to deny Harry's sweetheart access to him. As I entered the waiting room, she was standing there beside a very tall man whom I assumed to be her father. He was chatting quietly with my mother. Harry's girlfriend, Krista, stood there beside her father in silence, her big brown eyes cast downward. She looked forlorn, and I felt pity for her. She was so young, too young really to know 
what she should say or do in a situation like this. Her father and I exchanged handshakes. As I said hello to her, I attempted a comforting smile as we walked through the long, sterile corridor to Harry's room. Our small talk was cut short by her reaction when we entered his room. The shock at seeing Harry hooked up to so many wires and monitors made her gasp. Her eyes welled up with tears when she approached the bed and saw Harry's face covered in dark bruises. I stood beside her and put my arm around her shoulder. I wondered if perhaps I should let her in to see him after all. It looks really bad, but all of those bruises will be healed up in no time, I said in a voice that sounded much more confident than I felt. You can hold his hand if you like. It won't hurt him. I took her hand and placed it on top of Harry's. Then I pulled a chair up for her to sit on and said, as convincingly as I could, Harry would be really pleased to know you're here. I left her there and motioned for her father, Gary, to join me out in the hallway. I relayed as much information as I could to him about Harry's condition. I left it up to him to share the news with his daughter when he felt the time was right. He was very sympathetic and even offered to help out in any way he could, but no one could give me the answers or the help I really needed. Before they left, Krista hugged me and thanked me for letting me, her see Harry. Would it be all right if my dad brought me back to see him again, she asked timidly. I could barely hold my tears at bay as I looked into her young face so full of worry. Of course, I answered, trying to smile. She gave me another hug before she left. I realized instantly why, why Harry liked her so much. She was warm, affectionate, and totally genuine. Gary shook my hand just as Les was making his way down the corridor towards us. I could see the curious expression on his face as he approached. After a quick introduction and a brief goodbye from Harry's girlfriend and her father, we were left alone once again to watch over Harry. It was 10 o'clock in the evening, well past visiting hours. Though we had been able to stay all night the previous day, the hospital staff had been quite insistent that we all go home. If there were any changes whatsoever, they would let me know. <clears throat> I took one last look at Harry and got ready to leave. Les, who was standing close to the bed, placed his hand on Harry's cheek. As I watched him, I felt an overwhelming sense of compassion for him. Poor Les. This must, miss, this must have been such a double blow for him. When he noticed I was standing there looking at him, he started to say something, but stopped. I waited, and then he looked up at me again. Would you like me to take you back to my place to get your car, he asked. You left it there in the parking lot the other night. Right. I said, remembering that we had both gone in his car to the hospital. I had left mine at his place without a second thought about it. I guess I, I should go get it, if it's no trouble, Les. Come on, he said, not making any attempt to assure me that it wasn't. I was almost afraid to be alone with him in the car. What would I say? What would he say? So much had happened since that last caress, that last kiss. As we approached his car, I could feel him come up from behind me. He stepped quickly in front of me to open the passenger door. 
My shoulder brushed his arm as I flopped into the seat. He hesitated a moment before closing it shut for me. A real gentleman, I thought. We had just turned out of the hospital parking lot and onto the street when Les said, I don't know what to say to you, Angel. He was looking straight ahead. Oh, God, he can't even look at me. I know, I answered. Minutes of silence. I want you to know, he began, his voice softer now, that I'm happy to be a father. I know Harry is a great kid. I just, I just don't know him. It's a lot to take in. I know, I said again, trying to keep from trembling. More minutes of silence. There are so many reasons, Les, I blurted out finally, trying to fill the heavy silence that hung in the car. I turned to face him, my eyes pleading for understanding. He nodded, but he was biting on his bottom lip as if he were getting ready to refute any explanation I could give. And then he made a sudden turn into the empty parking lot of a strip plaza, parked sideways across the lanes, and turned his keys abruptly to cut the engine. I just don't understand how you could have kept something like this from me all this time. He turned now to look directly at my face. There was no design, denying the resentment in his eyes. Before I could answer, he got out and slammed the door. I sat there, not knowing whether to run to him for, to comfort him or to just sit there and let him cool down. Eventually, when he didn't return, I got out and walked around the car. He was standing a little ways away, staring blankly at the road. When I reached him, I slipped my hand into his and stroked the side of his face with the other. He didn't flinch. I'm so sorry. It was wrong of me, and I understand if you hate me, but I don't hate you, he said through gritted teeth. I just... He turned toward me suddenly, his eyes wide with anger. God, I fell in love with you again, he cried. Then he placed both of his hands on my shoulder his fingers almost digging into my skin. What do you mean again? Didn't you ever wonder what happened to me, Angel? I stared into his questioning eyes, unable to speak. I did try to get in touch with you, you know. I tried to find you. Find me? What do you mean? I mean, when we were in high school, I came back at the end of the summer and you were gone. I figured you were away with your family or something. He was right. At that time, we had all gone to Toronto to make arrangements for me to stay with my mother's sister, and my parents had begun to look for a house there. By that time, I was already two months pregnant. Then I went away to university, he continued. I called you, and the number was out of service. It was like you disappeared off the face of the earth. I just stared at him blankly. I hadn't known that Les had tried to contact me. I didn't want to know. It made my decision easier not to know. So, I just thought that that was it. You weren't interested. You don't blame me for giving up, do you? he asked. No, I answered, looking down at my feet. I mean, we were just kids, really, weren't we? 
You have no idea, he said in such a desperate voice, that I felt pity for him. He turned around to walk back toward the car and then stopped. Then he turned around again to face me. You just have no idea, Angel. The only two women I have ever been in love with. He stopped and his lips closed tightly like he was trying to hold the words back. Then he wrapped one of his hands around my arm and shook it. I'm just so sick of lies. I'm so sick of being deceived. I wondered if he was referring to his former fiance. She must have been the first one to break his heart somehow. I should have been comforted by his admission that he had fallen in love with me, not just once, but twice. But then he had called me a liar, a deceiver as well. It was like being given a gift for which you've been waiting and waiting, only to have it snapped away before you were able to touch it or feel it. He closed his eyes for a second and heaved a broken sigh. Look, he said, his voice strained and low. I know this is horrible, what you're going through. God, I'm going through it too, and I'm trying to figure out how I'm supposed to be feeling. I thought it would ruin your life less, I cried. I began to sob. He didn't move, nor did he make any attempt whatsoever to comfort me. And this is so much better, he asked, the anger in his voice returning. Though I knew there could probably be nothing more cutting than that, I realized that Les wasn't trying to be hurtful. He spoke the truth. He asked the question that I should have asked myself long ago. Was it really better to wait for a moment like this to tell him? Or to have waited at all? I knew I had made a grave mistake, and I sensed that I would probably lose him for good because of it. While I stood there motionless, battling between my need to wrap my arms around him and the fear of being rejected, he finally turned around and headed back toward his car. I followed a few minutes later, a feeling of utter emptiness weaving its way through every fiber of my entire body. He was silent for the rest of the drive back to the condo. When he pulled up beside my car in the dimly lit parking lot, he was staring straight through the window. Thank you, I muttered, but I couldn't move to leave. I couldn't let either of us go away that night with so much still left unsaid. We need to talk less, some more, I ventured to say, one small spark of hope left in my voice. But not tonight. When he finally looked at me, his expression seemed softer. Yes, you're right, I agreed, almost whispering the words. Let's just get through this, okay? Yes, of course. I, of course, let's get through this. I wanted so much at that moment for him to hold me and to tell me that everything was going to be all right. But his body language was clear. There was no outward sign that he needed the same from me. I decided to get out of the car and get the hell out of there. Without even a glance in his direction, I jumped out and closed the door without saying goodbye. My quick escape was pathetically undermined by the prolonged search for my keys. I rifled through my purse, frantically trying to find them. Then Les came up quietly behind me and dangled the keys in front of my face, startling me. Looking for these? 
he said with the faintest hint of sarcasm in his voice. I took the keys from his hand and twirled around to look at him. My face beat red, tears building behind my pained expression. And then, before I could turn around again to get into my car, he encircled me with his arms. I buried my face deep into the folds of his shirt and sobbed for what seemed like an eternity in the safety of his embrace. He didn't speak. He just held me and let me fall apart. And when I had finally reached the point when I couldn't possibly shed another tear, I went home alone. Well, Lillianne, I told you that this was a little bit of a sad chapter um, in terms of the emotions. And what did you think? Well, there was a lot that happened. Um, You know, I was... I was actually a little bit surprised at how um, accommodating she was to the girlfriend. You know, yes. she doesn't know her. Yeah. It's not like they are, um, you know, they've been together for a long time. So right. she was really nice about that, yeah. you know. Um, so maybe she just maybe was she remembering. Maybe she felt guilty too because yeah. he had not, didn't even tell her. She forgot about her too. Maybe, so. maybe. But I don't think that any mother would be like thinking about their son's little girlfriend, right? Yeah, At exactly. a time like that. True. Yeah. So, um, you know, but maybe, I don't know. Maybe I, I think also she was, she maybe can be more empathetic towards young people because she, you know, yeah. had a difficult teenagehood you know so good point yeah and then I was telling you while we were off air that I think that Les is a really good guy like he just keeps showing that he's a good guy I don't think he's a bad guy no and he keeps showing up yeah he does and he's just showing up yeah you know what I mean yeah yeah and you know like it is pretty awful that she you know she kept it from him for so long yes and then blurts it out at a time that is so awful you know so so awful for all of them I hope the readers aren't gonna hate Angel (laughs) (laughs) no no but you know like it just shows like he's he he continues to to stick by her and yeah um so, but if you he know, didn't, I wonder what people, you know, I, I, I think that would be kind of awful of him if yeah. he didn't. No, right? you're right. You're right. But yeah, you know, he doesn't owe her anything, no, you know, but it is his son too. So. Yeah. 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 I, I found that, that last part very, um, it was very, I think I, I said when I wrote the part about her, uh, finding out about Harry and, you know, I cried when I wrote that. This uh, chapter two mm-hmm. got me a little teary eyed when I was writing it and reading it back. And because um, she made a huge mistake, she realizes that. Mm-hmm. And he is so hurt and just so, you know, and and we mentioned in the last episode that it changes the it's going to change the relationship. It'll never be the same mm-hmm. again. But he is like really in love with her. He is. And I think that. That's why he's able to, you know, not 
walk away and yes. you know even though he he's upset and he doesn't really know how to deal with it completely yeah you know he's still sticking by because i think he's really really in love with her he is but if you recall he did say that she basically he did call her a liar and yeah. a deceiver yeah. and that he's sick of it yeah and he so he, there's a bit of wonder there. Yeah. Like, is he going to stick by as long as this is going on and then just, mm. you know? Right. So, um, uh, it'd be a shame, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Yeah. It would. Well, I think. And I wonder what's going to happen, like, when Harry wakes up. Right? Yeah. Like, if he does. If he does, but. I think yeah. he will. <laughs> You're optimistic. I am. I'm well, there optimistic. was an optimistic sign there, right? And, yes. And, you know. And the like, book's not over be, yet. It's not a tragedy, this No, book. it isn't. So, it like, isn't. That would be tragic, <laughs> you know? It would be so. Um, yeah, not really fitting for a rom-com yeah, type of Exactly. Thing, so, but, yeah. but that's going to be like, whoa. Yeah. It'll be whoa. <laughs> yes. So we're going to move on to the okay. next chapter. So, um, this chapter is called Mercy, Chapter 37. Two more days passed. Though we all kept vigil by Harry's bedside, there were no significant changes in his condition. Hopes were starting to slowly and painfully diminish, and the wear and tear of the ordeal was showing on all of us. As usual, my mother did her best to keep any hint of grief or worry hidden from the rest of us, but I knew it was there, just under the surface. The lines in her face, which were barely noticeable before, seemed to be settling in for the long haul. Dad, though supportive and encouraging at first, had become increasingly quiet. I was so thankful that Matt was there to keep him a little distracted. Bev and Hans took turns coming to the hospital, though I felt bad that they were trying to run the bistro and take care of their own children while finding time to support me. I was thankful that one or both of them were there every day. Tilly, on the other hand, was still trying to get a flight out of Italy and was becoming increasingly anxious with every phone call home to check on Harry's progress. Harry was moved to a different unit in the hospital, which seemed ominous to me, as if the doctors and nurses were beginning to lose hope for any immediate improvement in Harry's condition. Les was at the hospital every day. Though our conversations were strained, he continued to impress the rest of my family with his kindly gestures and his natural way of fitting in. His sister Karen showed up to offer her support. She sat with me in Harry's room for a while, and we talked about growing up in a small town and living in the big city. She asked a lot of questions about Harry, more than Les had, but I was glad for her company, and it eased some of the tension between Les and me. Les had told his sister that Harry was his son, and Karen treaded carefully when the subject came up. She mentioned also that nothing had been shared with their mother, Harry's grandmother. With the situation being so volatile, there was enough for both Les and me to think about without having to explain Harry to her just yet. When she left, Karen gave me a hug and squeezed my hand, making Les and I both promise that we would keep her abreast of, the ha of Harry's progress. She was a breath of fresh air and had raised our spirits, if even if only for a short while. But as soon as Les and I were alone again, his cool disposition returned and our conversations continued with that distant but polite tone that had become the new norm. I checked in periodically with Kathy, Keith's mother, to see how both he and his brother were doing. I knew that she somehow felt responsible for what had happened because it was her son who had been driving the car when they were hit. 
The day after the accident, we had caught each other in the hall just outside of Harry's room, and we exchanged a long, wordless hug. When she tried to say that she shouldn't have let the boys go, I remember putting my hand to her mouth. I didn't want to play the blame game. I know deep in my heart that if there were someone or something to account for what had happened to Harry and her two boys, it would be chance. As we stood there holding each other's hands, it was a moment of sincere understanding and mutual grief, and I felt closer to Kathy because of it. Keith and Kevin were already on their way to recovering at home, and though Kathy had come to the hospital a few times to check in on us, she spent most of her time at home with her own two sons. She had appointed herself my caregiver as well, and she had made it part of her daily routine to stop by in the evening after I got home from the hospital. She never forgot to bring me dinner so I wouldn't forget to eat. She even had her husband, with the help of Eddie Bickner, rake and bag the leaves that had gathered, gathered in great abundance around my whole house. I was extremely thankful for Kathy. She was what a good neighbor and friend ought to be, and she seemed determined to have Eddie follow her lead. It was early Wednesday morning, a little more than a week since the accident. Though extremely tired, I'd been awake most uh, sorry, I'd been awake since before dawn. Dreams of every sort played themselves out in my subconscious as faces and events from my past and present taunted me. I sat out on the back patio in the dark, wrapped in my old red fleece blanket breathing in the crisp air of early morning with huge, defeated sighs. My nerves were so on edge that my eye began to twitch involuntarily. I drifted off for a while. This time my sleep was dreamless. An hour later, I was just pouring a second cup of coffee when the doorbell chimed through the house, sending my nerves into a tailspin. I glanced at the time on the microwave. Now who could be ringing the doorbell at seven in the morning, I mumbled to myself. When Tilly's smiling face greeted me as I opened the door, I was so surprised that for a few long moments, I simply stood there motionless, staring at her. She smiled, a worried smile, and then after an emotional embrace, stepped back out onto the porch to get her suitcase. Then walking past me, she plopped it in the living room. Looks like I'm staying with you, sis, she said, taking a deep breath. But don't worry, you don't have to play hostess or anything. And just then her voice lost its vigor and she can continued, I know you have enough on your mind. Just the previous day, I had spoken to her on the phone and told her there had been no change in Harry's condition. She had cried and said that she felt terrible about not being there for me. Just hearing her voice had been enough, though. After several attempts with a few different airlines, she had finally been successful in getting a flight out of Rome. When we'd spoken, I had promised her that there was nothing she could do anyway and that I had plenty of support. But now that she was here, it was as if a small part of my strength was returning. My will to go on hoping had stepped up a notch. I'm so glad you're here, I said, hugging her once more. Did you come straight from the airport? Of course, I wanted to get here and see you first. Come into the kitchen. Coffee's already made. I linked my arm with hers and led her into the kitchen, which I had already tidied twice that morning. You were up already, huh? Since five this morning, I answered, just as a yawn escaped me. When can we see Harry? Probably not till visiting hours start, right? I'm sure we could go a little earlier. They've been pretty good about letting us come in early and leave late. Good, she nodded as she looked around the kitchen. I handed her a cup of coffee. Rather than taking it and drinking it, she placed it on the table, table and stared at me, her heart aching with worry and fear. I'm so sorry, Angie. I wish I could change things. I wish I... Then it was Tilly's turn to have a breakdown. I surprised myself by holding the tears back while she cried. When I relayed the details of the last week and a half without losing the steadiness of my voice, I was sure that there was something wrong with me. 
Don't be sorry. He's going to come around. I just know it, I assured her, and I almost convinced myself of it. He will come around, Angie. I know it too, she agreed, placing her hand over mine. We looked at each other. I could feel the bond between us grow even stronger. I pictured Tilly as a teenager singing to Harry in the room we both shared, rocking him gently back and forth in the old wooden rocker that had been in the house since I was a baby. After I cleared away some of the junk in my home office to make room for Tilly, and we made up the bed from the pull-out couch, I left her to get settled. While I got dressed, I managed to get a call into the clinic. Cam and Mel were running the show without any problems, it seemed. Of course, I knew that if there were any major dilemmas, I would never hear about it. Don't you dare even think about coming into work yet, Angel, Cam had warned, an unfamiliar foreboding in his tone. But Cam didn't need to threaten because I couldn't fathom not being with Harry every possible minute. I almost regretted looking in the mirror as I brushed my hair. My eyes were sunken in and dark circles had formed under them. My skin didn't look like my own either, so colorless. My thoughts drifted to less. How unattractive I must look to him, especially now. He hadn't called since our talk in the car. We would spend time together at the hospital, but there was little opportunity for the more pressing conversation that awaited us. So I would leave the hospital without less and pray he would come, or at least call, but there was nothing. Though I tried not to dwell on it and just focus on Harry, my mind would replay our conversation in the parking lot, and I would begin to hope all over again, only to be sorely disappointed the next night. And now Tilly was here. Thank God Tilly was here. At least for the time being, the emptiness wouldn't feel so empty. I'm ready if you are, Angel, she called from the kitchen, breaking through my trance. I'll be right there. I took one last regretful look at myself. I turned away from the mirror, not bothering with makeup. I hurried out of the bedroom. When I reached the front door, she was standing there waiting, staring at a picture of Harry on the side table. She turned around to look at me, her eyes streaked with tears. I had rarely ever seen Tilly cry like that. She seemed so out of her element, so not in control. In the car on the way to the hospital, I tried to keep the conversation going. I tried to be the one who was strong, who kept it together for a change. This newfound strength seemed to be taking me by surprise as I find, found myself learning how to go on despite my desperate fear of losing Harry. Tilly was almost back to her old self as she filled me in on her latest exploits, both on the work and personal scene. She had finally broken off with Giovanni, but they were still good friends and saw each other once in a while. Stefan didn't seem to mind, but didn't have a choice in the matter anyway, according to Tilly, and they still had not had sex. She was careful not to let that interfere just yet with her career and her freedom. As I was parking the car, we noticed my mother and father pull in a few spaces over, I left Tilly with them to have their little reunion and hurried in to catch an elevator. I wanted my time alone with Harry before anyone went in to see him. As I approached his room, one of the nurses was coming out. He smiled at me, but today the nurse's greeting was different. It wasn't the regular, hi, how are you smile. It was more of a Merry Christmas smile. I stopped at the door to look back at him. Suddenly, two distinct voices talking in low whispers reached my ears. I slowly turned back around and peered through the doorway. I could see Les, his back to me, and the top of Harry's head. They seemed to be talking to each other, having a conversation. Les was leaning in close to Harry's face, as if they were scheming something secretive between them. I stood there, frozen on the spot, not daring to believe my eyes or my ears for fear that it was all an illusion. 
but then as left Les shifted back in his chair and I had Harry's face in full view, I was sure that his eyes were open and that he was responding and nodding and Les continued to talk to him. He was fully conscious, his lips were moving, he was smiling, his eyes were lively again. I watched them as a barrage of emotions held my body hostage and I stood there unable to move. Relief and joy and love all flooded into my heart at once as I gazed upon the miraculous scene before me that featured the two loves of my life, father and son, getting to know each other for the very first time. Oh, I like that ending mm-hmm. to the chapter. Okay, mm-hmm. Lillian, thoughts? <laughs> wow. So one thing I did want to mention was, I think that this, these few chapters really show the family dynamic. Oh, you know what? I was thinking that as as you were reading until he came and I thought to myself, that's incredible. Uh, I find that like, you know, it, 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 they are such a close family. Yes. And it's really amazing that her brother came in from Florida, her sister, all the way from Italy, you know? Yeah. yeah. It, it, really amazing. Yeah. I'm it's very... scary, though. Like, it's he's in a coma. Like, is he going to be conscious again? You know, like, I, and I think you can't, as a family, if you're close, you can't wait a month. Mm-hmm. It's got to happen. Like you right. got to be there for your, you know, but because that those initial, like, you know, if you've ever known people that have gone through this with people in a coma, mm-hmm. those initial first couple of weeks are just yeah. treacherous, yeah. just treacherous. Right. So yeah. yeah. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Um, I'm, I don't know, I guess surprised that the hospital didn't call her. <laughs> They it probably just happened a few. They probably were, yeah. Or maybe, but was she on the way? Like it seemed like they were talking, like, like having a real conversation. And you yeah. think that if somebody just woke up from a coma, yeah, they're kind of like a little bit out of it, still, right? Right. So yeah. yes, I was like, well, where was the call to mom? Good question. Get up. You know he's yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, Good question. Yeah. So, I can't answer. Yeah. <laughs> but it's actually a really good question. Like, that's true. If you are in a coma, you're going to be, you know. Mm-hmm. Or was he just there when he happened to wake up? Right? Like, I, I don't know myself. Yeah. Right? yeah. And the doctors are like, well, you know, and, and something like I, who does the calling? The doctor themselves, like maybe the surgeon wasn't even there. Right. Would it be a yeah. nurse that does the calling? Like, yeah, who? I would think it's the nurse. And, and, and not the doctor. when do they do that? Or do they do some tests or they grab a doctor first? Like what right. do they do in those situations? Like, I don't know. It's a good question. I though. would think though, that if he was finally up and speaking, not, not just like fluttering his eyes or whatever, they would, the nurses would call the mother and say, yeah, right you know, away. get here. Yeah. Like there's been a change, you yeah. know? Yeah. 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 But how, so. And I wonder, so how long is it to the hospital? Did it happen 20 <laughs> minutes ago when they were had just left cell- the house? Did she have a cell phone? Like, I don't um, know. Were there cell she phones? She does have a cell phone. She yeah. could have it off. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But really good question that wasn't really answered in that mm-hmm. chapter. Mm-hmm. Good questions, Lillian. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just I love thinking it. as like, I love it. Hmm. 
here she, she you know, she's yeah. the mom, the most important person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. And if I had to rewrite it, guess what? Mm. I wouldn't have to explain that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, point. or maybe just, you know, yeah. maybe there would be like a phone call or something. Yeah. And then she arrived. But then it wouldn't you know? be a surprise. I was trying to get the element of surprise in there where mm-hmm. she notices something's different when she arrives. Right. 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 Yeah. So how do you do that? I don't know. Yeah. Well, it could be, it could be that, you know, she would still get a phone call saying, you know, he's, he's stirring, you know, you might want to get here. It seems like he's going to wake up. Yes. And then that's it. Yeah. And then when he, when she gets there, it's still seeing the two of them like engaged in conversation, right? Right. right. That's still like pretty, yeah, Surprising. amazing, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Too late. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we. Should... <laughs> Sorry, now we're now we're doing the giggles. Okay. We have a lot of that in this podcast. Okay. <laughs> start to giggle, and then like. Sometimes I can't even get my composure, so I'm okay now. <laughs> so how many pages? You told so, me three the okay, last what? one. It was I not it was, three. Okay. This one, one is two, not three. Okay. Okay. So, Lulia, so we're going to <laughs> one more chapter just because we know that you're wondering what happens. Okay? So you're yes. going to read chapter 38. Okay. Chapter 38, Longing. If there were one word that could describe the mood in Harry's hospital room that day, it would be jubilant. As if he had just woken from a long nap, Harry had surprised everyone with his questions about what had taken place since the accident. He seemed to remember most of the details and had no difficulty with recognizing anyone or laughing at Matt's jokes. He was ecstatic that his family, especially his Aunt Tilly, who had traveled so far, were all there to be with him. Les had stood aside while we all gathered around Harry's bed. Mom and Dad, Tilly, Bev, and Matt. I had my arms wrapped around his head. After kissing his forehead at least a hundred times, I lay my own on his shoulder. I was still trying to convince myself that in his mercy, God had given me one more chance to make things right in Harry's life. Harry would know who his father was, finally. By the same token, Les would share in the gift of having a son, something I had denied him for so long because of my pride and lack of resolve. Les and I had decided that we would wait to tell Harry about everything until he was back home and settled into school once again. In the meantime, Les dropped by a number of times to chat with Harry over the two-week period following his release from the hospital. I had been conveniently out or working late when he came over to spend time with Harry. We had planned it that way. Harry needed some time with Les, getting to know him a little better before we had the talk with him. I was thankful to have had Tilly around for those two weeks. She kept the mood around the house upbeat with her jokes and teasing. We went out to dinner and over to Moyers, but mostly we just hung out at my place in the evenings, watching movies and talking until one or two in the morning. On the nights when I was late from work and Les had stopped by, Harry thought Les was just being nice. 
One night, when I arrived home just minutes after Les had left, Harry said, I think he's trying to get in good with me, Mom. He must really like you, don't you think? When he'd said it, I had to turn away so he wouldn't see the pain in my eyes. Les had kept his distance since the accident. He had called me only to ask if it was okay that he visit with Harry. Though the conversations were friendly enough, he had lost the smile in his voice that I'd become so accustomed to hearing. It was like he was on a mission to play his role as dad and I wasn't really invited to go along. We had talked just days after Harry had recovered from his coma. Sitting in the kitchen, he'd stared at me, his face like stone, his shoulders tense, as I explained what had happened to me after he'd left for summer vacation 15 years ago. I could tell by his strained expression that he was trying to make sense of my story and my reasoning for never making any attempt to find him and tell him about Harry. It is what it is now. His expression was almost emotionless as he stared at me, his eyes unflinching. I want to be his father. I want him to, to know. Of course you do, Les. Of course. You just say when. He looked away from me then, as if he couldn't stand the sight of me. It was like a dagger going through my chest, slowly and painfully, with each subtle rejection of his eyes. I didn't ask about his former fiancée who had wronged him greatly in some way. I wondered what she had done to make him feel deceived, to make him call her a liar. Had she been unfaithful to him, lied to him about an irreparable and shady past? I wanted to blame her for her sudden distrust of me, for his sudden distrust of me. But I knew that deep down, what I kept hidden from him was perhaps the worst lie of all. It was, it seemed, unforgivable. But he would have to get past that to some degree if he wanted to be father to Harry. Before he left... I'd asked him point blank if there were any chance for us again, if he could find a way to forgive me. I just need some time to sort this all out in my head, was his response. It was safe, non-committal. I wanted to ask him how much time he thought he would need, but I figured I'd just about damaged enough of my pride at that point. I felt almost angry with him for not saying of course I forgive you. I love you. You're the mother of my son. It didn't seem that unrealistic an expectation when I recalled our conversation in the plaza parking lot. He'd referred to me as one of the only two women he'd fallen in love with. Evident, evidently, it wasn't enough. After I'd watched him pull out of the driveway, I sat outside on the front porch to watch the red October sky slump down below the horizon and plunge into a hazy darkness. I couldn't help but delve into a thoughtful analogy, something about how the sky had been just like our relationship, gone from red hot to cold before I'd barely had enough time to fan the flames. We told Harry on a Friday night, just before Halloween. It seemed the best time since it was before the weekend and would give him a couple of days to absorb the news. The Halloween party he'd planned to attend would be a good distraction for him. That is, if he still wanted to go after he'd learned that Les was his father. It was me who'd done most of the talking and explaining. 
During my lengthy account, he just listened, never once interrupting to ask questions. When I'd finished with how Les and I had reconnected at Bev's party, he nodded his head and looked down at his left hand, which he was flicking nervously across his leg. He asked to be left alone for a while when I was done. He went off to his room and closed his door. I didn't have a clue what to do next or what to say to Les, who was still sitting there on the edge of the couch, looking down at his feet. After Les had left, following a cool but awkward goodbye at the door, Harry emerged from his room and came to find me. I was sitting on the front porch, which seemed to have become my new brooding place. I was swinging back and forth in my outdoor glider when Harry came outside. He stood across from me. As he leaned against the old wooden railing, it creaked loudly from his weight. I had meant to get it fixed so many times, but there was always something more important to worry about. How ironic that I should have been reminded of it at precisely that moment. I stopped rocking and looked into Harry's gentle blue eyes, waiting for him to say something. It's fine, Mom, he said finally. I'm going to be okay, so don't worry. It wouldn't have been me had I not cried. As he spoke, an enormous wave of love and regret came over me. Suddenly, I began to wonder whether his accident had taught him something about living in the moment. Judging by his quick recovery and the ease with which he'd forgiven me, it seemed the only plausible explanation. Or perhaps Harry had always had this in him, and it was a part of his character that I'd just not recognized so acutely before. This incredible ability to bounce back seemed amazing to me. Here was Harry, a teenage boy who'd been denied the right to know his own father, and he was able to forgive and move forward so quickly. Yet Les was a grown man who couldn't do what had taken Harry all of an hour to come to terms with. I wasn't sure whether it was that Harry was exceptionally resilient or that Les was grossly overreacting. I thought back to the conversation with Les when he had asked me to give him time. It wasn't really a rejection. It wasn't a no, but then it wasn't really a yes either. As I washed up the last of the pots from dinner, my thoughts wandered back in time to the events of the past few weeks. So much had happened in so short a time. So many feelings, so many worries. It was scary to think about how quickly one's life could change in the blink of an eye, really, and how much of the future rested in the hands of someone else or in fate. It made me shudder to think about how dependent we all were. Looking through the kitchen window, I tried to blink back the tears which had begun their collective call in the corners of my eyes. A feeling of helplessness swept over me, much like the branches of the willow tree outside that were swaying this way and that at the mercy of an indecisive wind. Yes, there was comfort in the fact that finally the truth had been revealed. On a number of levels, it was liberating. But despite this, my happiness seemed so fluid. I couldn't see myself in the future. I knew that Harry 
had many happy moments awaiting him. I would take joy in those. But where less was concerned, I feared with an ache in my heart that there would be no more moments of perfect between us. Another sad ending. <clears throat> well, you know, like yeah. this, you have to, I think... I think that's realistic. It you know? is. It you is. know, like it's not going to be like, oh, okay, everything's great now. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you think that Harry's reaction was unrealistic? Like that he, it was too quick or like... Because you know what? This is something that he's lived with his whole life, right? Like yeah. not knowing his father. Yeah. You know, and I don't know. Um I wondered that writing it. Like I thought, but you know, like I think kids really are more resilient yeah, than they we are. are. They're, and they're more forgiving, I they think. They are. Too. They are. And you know, they're not jaded like <laughs> as right. adults are, right? Right. And so. and he's not like this angry kid, right? Like, yeah, he's and he very wasn't content, very right. Happy. And you didn't portray him as this kid who was searching or, you know, wanted to know who his father was. And he was he was pretty much happy, you he know. Was, and he called his grandfather Papa, right? Right. right. So he he had father figures in yeah. his life. Yeah. He had his uncle, and yeah. he still does. And he had his grandfather, mm-hmm. who was a young grandfather. Yeah. Right. So. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. All so, right. you know, I don't think it was like unrealistic. Um, it could also be, you know, his still his innocence. You know, even though he's what is he fourteen, fifteen? Yeah, fifteen. Yeah. Like it could still be his innocence, right? Yeah. That he. Um, you know, just was not like, okay, so this is my father and he, he doesn't have time. Like he doesn't have that, those experiences yet to think about, you know, oh, my mother lied to me. And, you know, I think if it was not, they weren't such a close family, I think it would be a very different reaction, Mm -hmm. but he's a very well-adjusted child and he's very loved. Right. He really loves his mother. She really loves, you know what I mean? Like he's, Not lacking for anything. Right. Kid. So, and like I said, he was not like, he was not in this stage where he was desperate to, you know, find his father, find his father yeah. know who his father was. That's he not how. He started to ask questions yeah. though. She did yeah. mention that. <clears throat> she did, but and... it was very brief, yeah. you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. So what I wanted to ask you another question. Did you think that she's being unfair by thinking that less, by making the comparison that, look, here's my son and look at how forgiving he is and so resilient. Here's a grown man. Yeah, I think she is. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, definitely. You know, she's, she's just, I think, reacting, you know, in a... Now she's starting to get past. So I'm trying to show the emotions, how Mm -hmm. now she's trying to get past this. I'm so sorry, regret. And now she's like sort of going, okay... Yeah. And because Harry reacted this way, she's now getting impatient. Mm-hmm. Right. And she's thinking, you know, and, yeah. and she's getting resentful too right. because she wants to get back on track and it's just not happening. And, yeah. you know, and, and she's being a little bit unrealistic. She herself, is. I think right? she is. Yes. Because she's just not like, she's just not thinking right. Right. You know? Right. So she's definitely a flawed character for sure. <laughs> yeah. She, you know, 
but that's that's normal. Everybody's flawed, yeah. right? She's Nobody's not a bad perfect. person. No, she's, no, she's, she's made a big not. mistake though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she has. But you know what? She did the best she could, yeah. and you know she she ended up raising a really good kid, as we yes. can see. You yes. know, yes, well adjusted kid. Yeah, and um, you know, I don't know. What would she have done if Les wouldn't have appeared in her life? Would she yeah. have ever told him? What, what what would what <laughs> if he had she had told him? Right. Would they have like would that have been a completely different relationship? Would they have been I don't know. Yeah. He, again, we don't know. <laughs> that would be a different story. It would be a different one. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I think we're gonna end it there. Okay. Your insights were wonderful, by the way. Thank Aww, you so much. Thank you. It was yeah. really fun. I liked your questions. You um you brought up some really good points and and yeah, I can't rewrite that part though. I know. <laughs> but I really think that that's such a good question. You know, and, and I'm trying to think back of what I was thinking in terms of, um, you know, uh, telling the mother and that. I, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. But anyway, I think uh, I think the, uh, the listeners are going to find the next now getting towards the conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like I said, things happening pretty quickly, as you yeah. can see in these last few chats. Things are happening quickly. So... Um, I interesting things happen in the next few chapters. But but it's um it's really very well done how you you know you ha- you really had that like climax and then the like denouement, you know, <laughs> the <yeah>. denouement. <laughs> where we're coming down from the climax but there's still like lots yeah. of things to resolve, yes. right? Yes. But that's part of the denouement is all the resolution that happens, yes. but Yes. So I, I, I can't well. wait to read the next <laughs> few chapters with some people, mm-hmm. some guests, because I love this whole last section of the book probably the best. Mm. Anyway. Well, I can't wait to hear the rest. I'm glad. <laughs> tune in. I hope you tune in. I hope I everybody will. else tunes in. And don't forget to rate and review. I hate saying that all the time, but. like I'm the, waiting till I'm finished the whole book to rate yeah, and review. Yeah. Okay. Because I think it'll be better, you yeah, know? Yeah, perfect. Than in the middle or whatever. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I think you can rate and review. Can you rate each episode? I think it depends on the oh. platform, actually. It does depend on okay. the platform you're using. Anyway, but I, I want to thank you so much. Thank you for, for having me. Coming and, and being with me, not just being a guest on the podcast, but being with me at my cottage. Yes. And now oh, we're going to play so some nice. games. Are we going to play Bananagrams? Sure. Oh, oh, I, I, love love, oh I love when people love Bananagram. I haven't played in Because a, a lot of people don't like it. Oh, really? Yeah. I the people it. I know don't want to play and I get all bummed yeah. out. <laughs> We're playing Bananagrams next, folks. Anyway, I wish you all a wonderful day or evening or whenever you're listening to this podcast. And please tune in next time. And it'll be great. Signing off. Take care. <laughs>